0: Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin, and this week we're going to do things a little bit differently. Instead of just focusing on one thing, we're going to spend a little bit of time on some different things because there's just so many important things going on in the world that we just have to have to talk about. We're going to cover the release of Angry Birds Space with John Gabris. We're going to be talking about the Michael Bayification of the Ninja Turtles with Owen Parsons and the Hunger Games movies with Pat Castles. But first, we got to talk about The big story that's going on, it's on everyone's mind. Everyone's talking about it. Just finished the world's largest pizza convention, Pizza Expo 2012. And we're going to be talking to the only person you need to talk about these things with, Scott Wiener of Scott's Pizza
1: Tours. Welcome back to the show, Scott. Thank you, Jeffrey Rubin. You just got back from, was that correct, the world's largest pizza convention? It's absolutely correct. It's the world's, uh, I'm sorry, it's the oldest The longest running and the largest pizza expo in the United States. So not worlds. Not worlds. Is there a bigger one in Italy or something? I believe there is a bigger one, but I don't have the stats, so I just don't want to make any claims and then somebody tells me I'm totally wrong. Okay. So I'm just going to say it's the oldest and largest in the United States. This is Pizza Expo 2012- we actually visited Pizza Expo 2007,
0: five years ago. We went with uh, our friends Matt and Brian, and Justin joined us a day later. And still hanging on my wall is the novelty photo that we took <laughs> together at the Pizza Today magazine booth, where they take a picture and put you on the cover of Pizza Today magazine. Like,
1: what? Us? On the cover of
0: Pizza Today? I guess so. Do you
1: ever have people who come in here and say, wow, why were you guys on the cover of the magazine? Uh, I think it's more like, is that a real magazine? Oh, because people used to come over when— Well, you could feasibly be on the cover of Pizza Today magazine. You write for the
0: magazine. I do. For those that aren't familiar with Scott's work, I want you to pause the episode right now. Well, wait, not right now. Let me give you the instructions first. Uh, Scott, I believe, is on the third episode of the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show, where we talk all about his tour. So if you didn't listen to that one yet, go back, listen to that episode, pause it now. Okay, they're back. Everyone knows everything about you. Mm -hmm. How was
1: Pizza Expo this year? This year was insane. More products... More people showed up, high energy, more uh, competitions, and a Lady Gaga impersonator. Why was the Lady Gaga impersonator? Well, as everyone who's ever been to the show knows, the second night, they have the Rockin' Games, which they call the Rockin' Party and Rockin' Games, I I think, something like that, which basically what it means is they do all the pizza dough acrobatics, and... um, when they're done with that, they have some kind of entertainer come out. And they were teasing everybody on Twitter and on Facebook. Oh, we got a big entertainer coming. And it turned out to be this Lady Gaga impersonator.
0: I bet it is not hard to find a Lady Gaga impersonator in
1: Las not Vegas. Not hard at all in Las Vegas.
0: What I really remember about the show from when we went a few years ago was that, and this is pre you running a pizza tour. You were not professionally involved yeah. in pizza. Yet. You were just an
1: amateur, an enthusiast. <laughs> and But it should be noted, that was my second pizza convention. I went in 2006 to Atlantic City. And then this 2007 one in Vegas was the second one. I didn't start doing the pizza tours until the spring of 2008.
0: So you and I and our friends went to this pizza expo, and we are not the kind of people that would <laughs> usually visit Las Vegas. We did no gambling, barely drank. We were there explicitly for the pizza expo.
1: Do, do you remember what we did, I think, the second night? It was the Wednesday night?
0: I do know where you're going with this. We were at the New Frontier, which has since been demolished. <laughs> <laughs> our soul. RIP. R- 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 and... Uh, there was like mud wrestling, and I mean, we're human, we're like, oh, we should go see the mud wrestling, but we didn't because a new episode of Lost was on, <laughs> and we went, and we, so we went back up to our hotel room and watched the new episode of Lost. I can almost, I think I know which episode of Lost it was. What? It's the one that I believe, it, I believe it was a lock centric episode, so you can't miss that. You can't miss it. And it's I a good one. And I think it was the one with, uh, we could check the dates and see if I'm wrong, <laughs> the one with uh, his dad. Uh, where his dad is on the island and Ben is like, he came out of the magic box or something. I think that was the episode. Weird. So that's what I really remember about PizzaCon. But the second thing that I remember about PizzaCon is that it wasn't really. We were the only people there who weren't professionally look, involved in pizza. Look, like it's, it's only for
1: pizza manufacturers and sellers. Yeah, it's it's not a convention for fans. It's not like you go there and get like you know. It's not autograph From no, it's not Comic Con at all. It's a trade show. So you go there to check out tomato packers and you know cheese companies and you know they have special deals if you order ten thousand pizza boxes from the show floor, all that kind of stuff. But no, we we, we were like the only people there who were not in the pizza business.
0: Which is very difficult for every single other person there to understand. They're yeah, like, well, what are you, doing you remember we would walk
1: up and they would like look at our badges and be like, oh, where are you from? What? Scott's Pizza Journal? And you guys were always saying, oh, wait, wait, yeah. Wait, wait.
0: We said we were from Scott's Pizza Journal, which was, at the time, not, what was Scott's Pizza Journal? It was, Journal? okay. It for those was, that didn't pause the episode it,
1: for some reason. Yeah, weird. It was the personal diary that I kept where all I wrote about was, every pizzeria that I visited
0: and this is not a book project you were trying to sell this is literally a personal this diary this was a about personal
1: pizza. diary it wasn't a blog it wasn't anything it literally was one book and in it, my it room.
0: got you and three or four friends into PizzaCon for free we all got in for free and it was amazing it was incredible so with that in mind that it's more of a trade show what was going on this year what were the more products on the floor
1: well this year there was a lot of pizza delivery technology like a lot of bicycles that had pizza storage units on the back that kept the pizzas level which was kind of cool um, uh, electric. Is it like a gyro- is it like a gyroscope? No, it just kinda had these weird little tiny springs in it. It, it was it didn't so lo- look all that impressive. So the pizza's got
0: shocks though.
1: Yeah. That's well, cool. you gotta have shocks on your in your pizza. But um, you know, that, that was a kind of a big thing. I saw I'll tell you what, there was a lot of you know, you think pizza and you think Italian food, but the Pizza Expo is really an American pizza industry event. But this year a ton of Italians. Every year it's kind of building As Neapolitan pizza has been sweeping the nation with wood-fired ovens and all that jazz, this year there were like three or four flour companies. There was a demonstration for mixing dough by hand with this guy who doesn't speak much English, He's this Neapolitan guy. Uh, That was cool. There was somebody demonstrating the fried pizza that's becoming more popular in New York right now, where they fry the dough, and then they pull that out, top it, and then finish the bake inside the oven. That was awesome. A guy named Giulio Adriani, who's opening a new pizzeria that's only doing fried pizza, in like two weeks in the Lower East Side. I think they have four pizzas on the menu, and I've had three of them, and they're
0: dynamite. That awesome. How many of these pizza conventions have you been to?
1: I went to 2006 in Atlantic City, 2007 in Vegas, 2009, 211, 212 this is the fifth. So you have seen, how has it changed? Well, change? oh, no, I'm sorry. Then I went to one in Orlando. Yeah, and then I have another one coming up in like three weeks. How have you seen it change over the years? Well, Pizza Expo itself, they, the, it's funny because I started going kind of right before and then during the whole like recession thing. And uh, you, started, you saw a little hit in the beginning, but then since then, the pizza industry is growing massively because, you know, it's such a recession-friendly food in a way. You know, you can feed your family for 30 bucks, you get a pizza, you get wings, you get sodas, whatever. Uh, so it's been really massive, and pizzeria owners are just loving it right now. So the, the energy level at Pizza Expo was off the charts. This year was incredible. You
0: judge the pizza there, not just for fun as you're eating it. You are an official <laughs> judge of the pizza
1: there. I am. What did you judge exactly? So I was judging the culinary competitions, and they have a few different categories. I did the traditional, which is a cheese blend, a sauce, and up to two toppings. And then I did the non-traditional, which is anything goes, whatever the hell you want to do. It was crazy. What won the non-traditional? The non-traditional winner was... A Hawaiian pizza that came out. With oh, like, you love Hawaiian pizza. Well, I'm in a Hawaiian. If I can pizza. jump in here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm totally. I'm, I respect it, and I will eat it, and I, I enjoy it. I thought it was one of your favorite types of pizzas. No, in I college, call it one of my favorites. No, it was that was like a like a fun occasion. Pizza. That was a phase. It, yeah, it was a little phase I went through. But I, no, but I'm totally, I'm totally into pi- uh, throwing pineapple on pizza. I'm not judgmental about that it's at pineapple all. and ham is Hawaiian usually right? yeah but this one was weird this one had slices of lime there was some tequila thrown in there mm. it was had mango it was really good it was actually a pizzeria from Staten Island called Goodfellas which they, they yeah. win all the time mm-hmm. um, and it's funny because the winner of this competition is not necessarily the greatest pizza you've ever had in your life but of the people who, who enter the competition you know it's the one that's most balanced and kind of the bright shining star of, of a pizza that actually makes sense what do they win? Well, they win money, a ton of money. I think it's like five grand or 10 grand. I mean, it's they win thousands of bucks.
0: What makes a pizza competition in Las Vegas at the convention center difficult is that so much of the pizza, correct me if I'm wrong, is the oven. And everyone's kind of working out of like, you know, the convention center, so a smaller I'll electrical you, oven.
1: I'll tell you, well... You just
0: diff- you just winster, I don't
1: know. You, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, because, okay, the, the pizza the is more than the oven. The oven is the tool, and the pizza maker is the delivery method. You know, it's all about the pizza maker. Don't blame your oven, Jeff.
0: Don't blame it. I'm not blaming any oven. I'm just saying that, like, all these pizza makers, these artists, Uh are working with possibly not the best tools. Well,
1: hear this. They're all out of their element. They all, none of them have their home style, their hometown oven, but they have an option. They have a choice. There's a deck oven, natural gas-fueled deck oven. There's an electric oven. There's a wood-fired oven that's, it's, you can't burn wood inside the convention center, so it's natural gas, but it's a domed Neapolitan oven. Uh, and then there's a conveyor belt oven, so you you have all the tools. So there's there. some
0: options. Yeah, and and, really and everyone is, is
1: even. Yeah, every because nobody's using their home their home oven, so everybody kind of has to figure things out on the fly. What the the true winner is the one who can utilize, who can overcome those obstacles, jump those hurdles, and make something that's delicious.
0: What was the craziest thing you saw there was at one pizza expo this year?
1: Oh man! Well, there was one pizza that um it was. It was, f- it was in, oh, what was it? It was to commemorate the burning of Lawrence. Where is it? Lawrence. I don't, I don't know forgot Lawrence what Lawrence is. You were set on fire. There was a place, there was a place that was set on fire in 1863. It was like a civil war battle and the pizza came out. It was a normal looking pizza, but they've carved an entire village out of pepperoni. Wow. Like out of chunk, like not slices of pepperoni, but a chunk of pepperoni. They've carved a village and they set it on fire.
0: So it was like an art installation? The pizza
1: came out on fire. So no one got to eat the pizza. I ate the pizza. Oh, so well, they, they put it out. At they somewhere. put it back. They cut it. But that was the craziest. It was. It was. I just actually had just put up a video of it on the YouTube. On your YouTube channel. My, on the Scotts Pizza Tours YouTube, which channel. which is at, I, it's you know YouTube slash Scotts Pizza Tours. Perfect. It's right there on top. It's awesome. I remember
0: when we were there a few years ago. One of the things we saw was, uh, people like these like thin pieces of film that you could put on a pizza to like bake a oh. piece of clip art message on a yes. pizza. And we saw that when we were at the 2007 Pizza Expo. And then this year at the Super Bowl, I saw uh, Domino's, Papa John's, you know what it was?
1: I think it was maybe Papa John's. One of
0: the big ones was doing a thing for the Super Bowl where they would send out a pizza. It was this exact thing with yeah. your team or with
1: the Super Bowl logo mm-hmm. on
0: it or something like that. So things do come out of this that they are, well, reach the national
1: market. But, but it's funny because I didn't see them at this year's event. So I don't know what happened. Maybe they lost all their money on giving out free things to Domino's or whatever.
0: What else did you do when you were out there in Las Vegas? You did something else pizza related.
1: Oh, yeah. I stuck around. I, this is okay. I hate Las Vegas, it's like my least favorite place. On I the also planet. hate Las Vegas, but uh, so being there for three days usually kills me. But I stayed an extra four days to work at a pizzeria out there. So I worked at this place called Metro Pizza just for fun, just for fun, to learn and to learn. Well, I, I wanted to experience what it's like to work in a pizzeria. Because I've never done that. So, so how was it? What'd you do? It was great. I worked I, the line. I, I worked a Saturday night stretching pizza doughs, which is like a hugely important job. And we stretched 250 doughs during the night. It was, it was incredible. Was what did you learn? I doughs. Oh my goodness. I'll tell you what. I, I always thought that the person who throws the toppings onto that pizza is like the lowest. Because all you're doing is throwing some stuff on top of a piece of dough. But when I was doing that, and I did that for two nights actually, of those four nights, I did it for two nights. That's a hard job. Evenly distributing toppings, not getting too much water on there, and getting that pie... That person has to stick that pie in the oven. Getting it in the oven without burning yourself, Mm, which I did. You're pointing at a burn on your hand. Yeah, it's it's a burn. Uh, Which felt great, by the way. It felt great to burn myself on that oven. Pizza scar. I felt real. I'm going to get it tattooed onto my skin. (laughs) It's like pizza burn on the roof of your mouth, but on your actual skin. Yes, and much worse, I would say. Can we talk about the
0: secret project that you are coming directly from? Uh... I don't, I don't know about that. Okay, we will keep that a secret.
1: Uh, I know we can talk about it with that as long as we don't name names.
0: Okay. What is so, What is the intriguing secret project I just brought okay, up? Okay,
1: so part of, part of the reason I wanted to work in Vegas was you know, I want to work in so – I'm, I'm a pizza lover, you know a pizza blogger, you know one of these people who – pizzeria owners probably have a love-hate relationship with people who pontificate about pizza, I'm sure. I wanted to know what's it like from their side. So I'm going to work in three or four different pizzerias over the course of the next few weeks, maybe months. We'll see how long it happens. And, uh, yeah, I just want to get an idea. So that was a family pizzeria in Las Vegas, suburban Las Vegas. I got that done. I just came from an interview at... We'll just call it a large chain pizzeria, mm-hmm. um, which I got the job. You got the job. <laughs> I got the job. Congratulations. Yeah, I go for orientation on Tuesday. So you are, and you're delivering pizzas, right? I will be delivering pizzas.
0: That is very exciting. Yes, and you may be doing a ride along with me. I would love to do a ride along. Can we bring the mics on the ride along? Sure. We're going to talk more about pizza on you that. Gotta, That'll be, that's going to be really fun. You got to be legit, though. Yeah, well, what do we think? You got to be legit.
1: I got to tell you, I was in the back room of this large chain delivery place, and it was <laughs> very eerie. I wanted to take everything.
0: Um, I actually, do you remember this? I this summer I had an internship, uh, applied for a job at these large pizza chain, and I got it. and I actually went to orientation, but then like something with the hours didn't line up, and I went to orientation, but I never actually did the job. I do you remember? I and it's I, all coming I, back. I went, I barely remember because I only went for an hour, and I never actually did the job. Weird. To well,
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna follow through where you left off. <laughs> I'm gonna complete your sentence. The uh, I, I'm really excited, but you know, after that, I want to work at a New York slice shop, working the slice counter, reheating slices. You know, dealing with people. I want to do that. Most people would
0: look at working at a large-scale pizza chain as possibly a step down from operating your own business that you love.
1: Oh, totally. But I, I, you know what? I, I, I need to learn about this stuff because this is, this is what I talk about. And people ask me these questions about it. And they don't really, it, it's not very often somebody says, What's it like to be a delivery person for a big pizza chain? But I'm just, I'm interested in it. And I think it would be an interesting story to talk about what it's like from that side of it. Give me a better appreciation.
0: I think that is what sets you apart, Scott. Scott's com. Did I do that right? Oh, yeah. Scott's com. If you come to New York, it is the only thing that your family will all like doing at the same time. That's how I try to sell it to people.
1: You know what? I, that, a lot of reviews say that, so yeah. It's
0: so true. It's the only thing that, like, dads like, moms like, kids like, teenagers like. E- even like, even, even s- the little even sarcastic teenagers. teenagers.
1: No, I, I, I get them. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm them, we're the same. You're one and the same. By the third stop, I'm like, listen, I know what you're thinking. That's so what's trust a, me. That's, what's about P- that's the thing about pizza. Everyone loves pizza. Everyone's into it. The other thing about Scott, which I want to mention
0: again, because people ask all the time, is that Scott wrote the theme song to the show. We mentioned that in that third episode, but I still get people asking all the time, what is the theme song to the show? It is Dinosaurs by the Bikini Car Wash Company, which is also on YouTube, and the Bikini Car Wash Company is
1: entirely Scott. So, thank you again for the theme. And you can download it on iTunes.
0: Scott, thank you again for the theme song. Thank you for being on the show. But now it is time to talk about Angry Birds Space, which is arguably the first true sequel to Angry Birds. Has Rovio managed to once again revolutionize playing video games while taking a shit? Your thoughts, John Gabris.
2: I take weird shit now because of this game. I'll take a shit and then it'll circle around the toilet slowly, but surely, eventually landing in the bowl.
0: That is visual, but it does kind of help explain <laughs> the difference between Angry Birds and Angry Birds Space. What is new about this Angry Birds?
2: Uh, I feel like uh, Rovio here did like the classic where where it's like Mario did, where they're just like, "Well, we'll change the physics," and I feel like Space now just changes the entire idea of the physics of Angry Birds. There's no more, uh, like, gravity. I guess there is a gravi- there's orbital gravitation rather than normal gravitation. I'm literally... I haven't taken a science class in 15 years, so I'm not sure what I'm... <laughs> Rather than taking place
0: on Earth or whatever world Angry Birds took place on, I guess I never thought about that before, but I assumed it was Earth. You know, they had Earth-like materials. Yeah,
2: they had green, they had green pigs, <laughs> <So> <laughs> just like we'll Earth. We'll
0: save the What Planet Did Angry Birds Take Place On issue for another <laughs> podcast. But Angry Birds Space is in space, and you're flying around asteroids, and each asteroid has its own gravitational pull, so you can kind of whip the birds yeah. around there. Or um, if you can shoot the bird, if it can, like, achieve escape velocity and go into space, it just goes straight. It doesn't arc down anymore. Exactly. That's I thought that was cool, too. Mario Galaxy is obviously the model here. Yeah, exactly. And I, honestly, that's kind of why I want to talk about Angry Birds, is I think they're slowly becoming, and this is hard for me to say as a video game fan, because I don't think it's on the same level, but they're sort of becoming the new Mario. It's got to be the most played game out there right now, just pure numbers-wise. Yeah. By far.
2: Angry Birds is the Mario of iPhone. I think it's the Mario. I would say yeah.
0: That. And I think it's the Mario. I think we talked about this a little bit last time we talked about Angry Birds, but I think it's the Mario of a new generation. You see so much and not, not that Mario's going anywhere, but you see so much Angry Bird stuff out there now. They've licensed it to everything. There's T shirts and candy and toys. Like when yeah. we were at Toy Fair uh, Angry Bird had won License of the Year, and there, almost everyone had some variation of an Angry Birds toy.
2: But also, Angry Birds is the uh, Mario of a new generation and an old generation because there's no real buy-in. Like if you just sat down and tried to play the newest Mario now without playing since Super the original, you'd be fuck. It'd be a mind fuck. But like anyone could sit down on the first level of Angry Birds and learn it. My mom is the benchmark of like how user friendly something is, and my mom can figure. See, my mom can't work at DVR. But she can play Angry Birds on her
0: iPad. I think one reason I'm so excited about Angry Birds Space, I gotta admit, is because I never thought I'd be that into Angry Birds again. I kind of thought that maybe, and it still might be, uh, something of a fluke for Rovio. You know, to keep comparing it to Mario, where's Rovio Zelda? Yeah. But Angry Birds Space... Um, after they did Angry Bird Season, which was pretty much more of the same, I
2: never even played any. I never even played any of those. And they, they,
0: well, they only did two. They did Angry Bird Season and Angry Birds Rio, both of which were more or less more of the same. There weren't that dramatic of a gameplay difference. Angry Bird Space makes more changes than I thought they would to the formula, and they're pretty good. You know, they're they're changes that really fundamentally alter the gameplay.
2: It's risky to try to change Angry Birds, like it's so wildly successful. They could have easily just kept making, like, ex- glorified expansion packs forever. You know what I mean? They could have just been like, oh, yeah, now it's got Angry Birds. But instead, they're this, license. you know, Angry Birds presents Game of Thrones. And it's like, you shoot little Tyrions at, uh, you know, dragons or whatever. I
0: like that that was your first example, shooting little Tyrions at dragons. I see exactly where your head is at right now. <laughs>
2: That's like my dream game. Now I'm upset that that game doesn't exist. They should do it. Uh, uh,
0: I think they're doing a Game of Thrones MMORPG, which I'll probably never play.
2: I would play, too,
0: just to fuck my twin sister. <laughs> <laughs> Let's briefly address this while we're talking about Angry Birds. People ask me all the time if you're going to come back on the show to talk about Game of Thrones, and we are going to do it, right? Yes. We're, we're going to wait. So I think we to wait until the, end, wait of the end of the second season. season. So we're still... Uh, right. It starts next week, so we're about 11 weeks away from that. I'll see you in 11 weeks.
2: Yes, I'm, and I, if I see you before then, I will fucking repeat, but I will <laughs> back, to, uh, back to,
0: let's get back to Angry Birds, though. Yes. Did you get any of the hidden levels while you were playing?
2: No, you know what? I've got to be 100% honest here. I downloaded it because we were like, uh, you, you mentioned that we wanted to talk about it. I was like, oh, sick. I love to play New Angry Birds. I started playing, but when I downloaded it, I also downloaded this game called Braveheart from my iPhone, and Braveheart is, like, I've been playing that way too much. I keep, like, I'm forcing myself go back and play Angry Bird.
0: Is Braveheart based on the movie or you know the story not, of William Wallace?
2: Not at all. Not at, I don't know how they got the title, <laughs> but it's like a, over the, uh, like overhead like Diablo sort of looking controls of a uh, like an action RPG. But you get to uh, the controls are like you spin your finger on the screen to make your character whip his sword around or you press one uh, you, you press him and push another thing to shoot your crossbow. It's like just so simple. The controls are amazing on it. But now I'm touting Braveheart on a Angry Birds podcast, so. Back to Angry Birds It
0: is interesting you bring up the touch controls, though, because I do think that's one of the things that made Angry Birds such a phenomenon. I don't like it when they take a game that's maybe great on a console, like something like Street Fighter, and then shoehorn it into an iPhone with a virtual joystick or something like that. I like games that use this new thing, use the touchscreen, and come up with ways to make it fun with a touchscreen. And I think Angry Birds did that. You know, it got a lot of flack at the time for ripping off, uh, what's it called, Crash the Castle? It still gets slack for ripping off yeah, Crash I, the Castle and other games. But Crash the Castle, the launching mechanism, was all timing-based, and it wasn't nearly as intuitive. Your mom might, might not have been able to figure it out. Whereas Angry Birds, I think anyone, you put in front of them, uh, no matter how young yeah. or how old or whatever they are, um, they can get it almost immediately.
2: Young, old, stupid is the third <laughs> thing. <right?
0: laughs> and, and Angry Birds Space, I think, is arguably more original than the original Angry Birds. The idea of the planet, each with their own gravity. You see it in Mario Galaxy. Yeah. I'm sure there's other iPhone games that do it. Um, Osmos is a great iPhone game that had um, this gravity mechanic where there were different planets with their own gravitational pull. And I'm sure there's others that done it, have done it, but uh, I gotta say I was pretty impressed with uh, the new stuff they brought to Angry Birds.
2: What I love best about Angry Birds, uh, uh, even, it's even more apparent in space, is how... They hooked like the first level is like, oh, so easy. The second level, you fuck up, and you're like, "Wait a minute! Oh, I see. I could do that." And then, like, they teach you how to play as it goes. Like, you learn skills yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, "Oh, it can go around the planet." I finally figured it out for level three, and then a level seven is where it's harder. You can
0: use the planet's gravity to slingshot it around. This is how they get lost in time in Farscape. That is the nerdiest thing I've ever said on the show, which is really saying something.
2: <laughs> you know what's funny is, as you were about to say, that's how they got lost in time, Farscape. I was trying to say that's how Superman can. Get <laughs>
1: so,
0: like, <laughs> so this this concept has been used before.
2: And, uh, you know,
0: it's just a little more complex without fundamentally changing the recipe. Exactly. Do you get three stars on every level?
2: I usually play like that. I usually keep trying
0: until I get three stars. I'm like, that's how I started playing and gave up on immediately. And the, sc- cause the scoring seems so arbitrary sometimes. Sometimes, in my opinion, if you kill all the pigs with one bird, that should be an automatic three stars.
2: I agree wholeheartedly, Mr. Rubin. I guess I should say I like to try to get three stars as often as possible. Then I have this imaginary cutoff point where I'm like, let me just get past a few boards. Then I'll go back and play three, and I'll play for three stars. And then I always end up never going back. Yeah, me too. The thing about
0: Angry Birds, and I think one reason the first one has been as popular as it has been for so long, is that they put out so many levels for free. And to their credit, I think they do a pretty good job of uh, making them different types of levels. It's not just the house is a little bigger. they, They... are pretty good at coming up with different twists for them. And now they have this whole new playground of space and the gravity. I certainly hope I'd expect to see more from them. Basically what I'm saying is there's already more Angry Birds than I care to play. And I remember when I was into the first one, just like this point where I needed to beat the game so I could stop playing it.
2: Exactly. And then just as more expansions are coming out, you're like,
0: no! So I'm trying to keep that in mind every time I'm restarting a level to get three stars.
2: Yeah. Like, just get just get it over. Yeah. Angry Birds. There's. Too much Angry Birds. But here's the real question, Jeff. What did those pigs ever do to those birds? They stole the eggs. What?
0: They stole their eggs. Didn't you watch the hilarious movie? I don't
2: watch cutscenes on Xbox games, so I'm not going to watch them on my iPhone. Yeah, I
0: believe (laughs) they've stolen the birds' eggs is the plot of the game. Plus, they're kind of shitty the way they just keep laughing at you. Like, fuck them.
2: Yeah. Or they're, like, snoring. I think that's kind of fun. Well, here's my question. So the pigs stole the eggs, and then decided to hide on the outside of planets guarded by tiny pieces of plywood and stone? Yeah,
0: I mean, at least this time they <laughs> ran away to space, and the other one, they just, like, stayed in the field, and were just like, I'll hide in this glass-roofed building.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, how about the five bucks get underneath this stone? Are you sure? I feel like if someone hit it right here, we'd all die. <laughs> we'll be fine. <laughs>
0: um, the thing I was saying about the bonus levels before is that the so? If you get a golden egg steroid, they've replaced the golden eggs with golden egg steroids. You go to a bonus level, and all the bonus levels are based on classic video games. There's a Space Invaders level, there is a Breakout level, there's actually a Mario Brothers level. Whoa! And I'm wondering if maybe they're making their play for saying, hey, we're one of these classic video games now.
2: Oh, that's ballsy. That's ballsy to include classic uh, classic video games in your video game and then say aren't we classic? Uh, no, I
0: don't think that. Well, I, they, don't, they don't say aren't we classic but I think it's kind of implied by the inclusion of the levels. I mean, that's pretty,
2: that's ballsy. I, I don't know. I think that's getting ahead of themselves. And the crazy thing is this game is a dollar.
0: Honestly, that's one of the reasons I tried it. Like I said, I'm so pleasantly surprised. I never thought I'd play another Angry Birds game but I thought for a dollar, yeah, I'm kind of interested in what new stuff they're doing with the series whereas something like, say, Call of Duty, yeah, I'm, Academically interested in what they're doing to keep this insanely popular series fresh, but I don't know if I'm willing to get up off the couch for it, much less spend sixty dollars.
2: That's what's crazy about iPhone games. Is like, you know, you're, you find yourself being like, uh, "This game looks fucking amazing," and then it's like three dollars. No way. <laughs> like, you won't, you're like, nope, three dollars is too much. But then I'm spending sixty dollars on Arkham City beating it within, like, two days and never
0: touching it Yeah, I mean, I thought the $60 you spent on Arkham City was money very well spent.
2: Oh, I agree. I agree. And I
0: I enjoyed that time. But it's true, Um, I remember when the first Angry Birds came out, uh, around the time it was, so it must have been, like, 2009? I think that was the year it hit it big anyway, or maybe 2010, uh, comparing it to Red Dead Redemption. And I like Red Dead Redemption, but I spent like 20 hours on Red Dead Redemption, which is a pretty, you know, it's an open-world game. You can spend as much time there as you can tolerate, pretty much. Exactly. But Angry Birds, I spent, I don't know, twice that much on, even though the game only costs one sixtieth as much.
2: I know. You're, you're looking at like, uh, you know, like pennies per days of playing. It, like, costs you nothing to play Angry Birds. But that
0: said, I like Arkham City and Red Dead, in particular, those two games, which are, like, pretty much two of, I think, the best video games of this console generation, uh, I enjoy those in a much, much different way than I enjoy Angry Birds. Like, I think they're both fun, and I think they're both playable, but, like, when I'm playing Angry Birds, I'm almost like, God, I need to stop playing Angry Birds. Whereas when I'm playing Arkham City, I'm like, I never want to stop playing Arkham City.
2: (laughs) Oh, I, I agree. Like, uh, Uh, angry birds you play passively those games you play actively and uh, and part of it is like you have to choose to sit down on your couch and making it sound like we're making huge life choices you have to choose to sit down you have to choose to smoke a joint and then you have to choose to turn on your xbox to really settle in like it's so difficult (laughs) sitting down to play xbox video game or sitting down to play console games now is like reading a book to me now it's like okay, well, I guess I'll stay in to the next hour, whereas, like, I could play iPhone games anywhere. Like, this weird new portability thing, you know what I mean? Where it's, like, playing video games used to be lazy. Now it's, like, difficult. (laughs) Like, to play Xbox is, like, difficult to turn it on and switch the, you know, the input and shit like that. Whereas, like, I have a thing that I talk to my mom on, play video games on and it's, watch movies and listen to music on it in my pocket all day long every single
0: day. Yeah, it's true. And I see so many other people like you and I have always been playing video games. I have a 3DS that I've played on the subway and a DS and a Game Boy Advance exactly. before that.
2: I was PSP. Oh, really?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, the Vita looks pretty nice and I think uh I briefly touched one, but I I need to spend some more time with Evita. It looks pretty cool. The other new feature I really liked about this game, one of the new birds is a freeze bird. Uh, He's like ice cube themed. Oh, wow. I haven't gotten to him. I think it's the second world is all freeze bird themed. So you get the freeze bird and you fire it at a building and you can tap to make it explode like the bomb bird. And it has kind of an ice explosion and anything caught in the explosion is flash frozen into solid ice. And then the next bird you fire just fucks that ice up, like it's glass, you know? So if there's, like, a concrete building... You turn it into ice, and then you just send the next bird right through it. Really satisfying.
2: Bad ass, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I think... You were just so intense talking about flesh, flesh freezing a king town. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Also, I recommend downloading Braveheart. For real, it's like $0.99 cents or ninety nine, and a lot of I'm going to check
0: it out. I check out pretty much any iPhone game anyone recommends to me ever, because why not?
2: Yeah, I know. I... Uh, ever since I met Steven Cotillo on uh, doing a nerd alert with you, I, like, tweet him. I'm like, what game should I download now? <laughs> he just tells me, and I download, like, five games at a clip.
0: Uh, I'm trying to think what else is good. What, have you played anything else good recently?
2: Well, I got, my wife now plays Fruit Ninja so much that she was having trouble sleeping because she was playing right before bed, and like, we had to, like, cut her off.
0: I was at, I was at Dave & Buster's uh, recently, possibly the other night. Dave and Buster's, by the way, I don't know. I was at the one in Times Square, and it is the fucking worst. If you have a bar slash arcade, and I go, and I hate every element of it. Like you're do, like I want to love what you're doing. I want to love it. Exactly. And it is the worst. Anyway, one thing that was kind of interesting is that there aren't very many new arcade games. That's not Dave and Buster's fault. But one thing people are doing is blowing up iPhone games into arcade cabinets. Like there is a large, uh, I don't know, pretend like you're a forty-two inch TV screen running Fruit Ninja, and it's the same Fruit Ninja in your pocket, but a big version of it. And they also had that with Infinity Blade. And uh, there aren't many new arcade games, but I think something we're seeing now is people taking these iPhone games, which are proven concepts, and they are arcade-style games and putting them in actual arcades because they know, you know, there's a popular brand name, they know people uh, will play it. But the funny thing about the Fruit Ninja one is there's like a demo showing how to play it and it's showing people playing the game. And there's this one uh, screenshot during the demo of, like, a boy playing Fruit Ninja and there's three girls watching him and they're all, like, giggling and they're all so impressed about how good he is at Fruit Ninja.
2: <laughs> oh, that's, like, some guy's dream situation where it's like, I was playing Fruit Ninja and three chicks realized how good I was and then took turns blowing me. <laughs> like, and then
0: but it's also, like, he, in particular with this game, he's just kind of, like, flailing at a TV screen and just like touching a TV <laughs> screen and they're all like, oh yeah. my they're all <laughs> fawning over it. Oh my God. How is he doing that? That's
2: really funny. I also Infinity Blade was another game. Yeah, Infinity I, Blade uh, is pretty solid. But that cost, like six bucks. Well,
0: Angry Birds is a pretty value packed game. But when you see something like yes. uh Infinity Blade for five dollars versus maybe Cannibalt, which I think is actually two or three dollars, or you know, bejeweled Infinity Blade is a degree more complex. I think it's running on the Unreal Engine. It's, it's a little more complex than your standard 99-cent game, and I'd say it's probably worth $5. Oh, I, I agree. I
2: wasn't saying, like, it wasn't worth the $5, but I was just saying, like, that's crazy. Like, that game, I bought a $5 iPhone game, and it was awesome. Yeah,
0: I've, bought se- I've purchased several of them. Have you tried the big one right now, uh, which I can't believe we haven't talked about until now, is Draw Something. Have you played Draw Something?
2: Oh, no, I haven't gotten into that, but I see people tweeting pictures and tumbling pictures of Draw Something. So I want I do want to actually get on that. It's pretty
0: cool. It's not really oh, okay. a game. It's, like, fun to, like, draw stuff. I think it's cool that people can be creative and share that with friends over their phones. Uh, but as a game, this is such a nerdy complaint, but as a game, it's, like, barely a game, you know? There's, you're not really competing yeah, against yeah. anyone. But it, it is really fun, and it's cool that it's getting popular.
2: Oh, that's fun. Yeah, let's, uh, are you on it, Jeff? I'll yeah, tell you, I'll I think play you can find me yet.
0: on, via Facebook or something.
2: Okay, cool. I'll, I'll I'm will I'll the worst I at won't...
0: drawing, but I love watching other people draw. Oh,
2: I'm awful at drawing, I, and I was an art minor in
0: college, and I can't draw. Well, wait do, <laughs> do you try drawing with your fingers <laughs> on an iPhone. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: I can't, oh, I'm so excited. John, is the substitute coming uh, back soon?
2: Yes, I think April 16th is our premiere date, uh, And we'll be on at 7 p.m., so uh, the grown-ups that listen to this podcast might actually be able to check it out. What
0: was the last time it was on, like, after school?
2: Yeah, it was, like, on at, like, 4.30 in the
0: afternoon. So the substitute (laughs) is on MTV's... Uh, at seven p.m. on what was it, April seventh? I think April sixteenth will be the premiere. On April sixteenth, John, thanks for coming back to the show. Oh, I appreciate it, Jeff. Moving on, but not quite leaving space. Michael Bay recently revealed that in his upcoming Ninja Turtles reboot, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would actually be aliens. Bay said that, "quote When you see this movie, kids are going to believe one day that these turtles actually do exist. These turtles are from an alien race, and they are going to be tough." edgy, funny, and completely lovable. Is Michael Bay trying to fix something that isn't broken? Your thoughts, college humor writer slash dorkly comic artist Owen Parsons.
3: Well, to a certain extent, I mean, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is already such a far-fetched premise. I mean, you have their, their teenagers, their mutants, their ninjas, their turtles. That's, all, that's already like three steps beyond Street Sharks. Which itself is kind of an absurd thing. Street Sharks being
0: your baseline level of reality.
3: Street Sharks is a normal jump from something like
0: something regular to a little tweaked. Like we're now now we're in a cartoon universe. So you're saying a standard unit of measurement for measuring how far away we've gone from reality is one Street Sharks. Yeah, it would be one Street Shark, I would say.
3: But from there, like Michael Bay basically said, you'd Michael Bay basically said, oh, we're going to have this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, but here's the thing, I'm going to tweak one thing, they're going to be about aliens now. And like the internet exploded, everyone's super furious about this. And to a certain extent, I mean, they have the right to be upset. A lot of people really treasure Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and they think that uh, this is a very valued property to them in their childhood. But, I don't know, I, I can't really get all that worked up about a Michael Bay movie. I mean, he had, he's sort of in the business of taking childhood franchises and turning them into big explosion-filled Michael Bay movies. And I mean, whether you take whether you put a lot of stock in a Michael Bay movie, I guess, depends on how much you're going to care about whether or not he's ruining the Ninja Turtles.
0: Yeah, I get the sense with this story, which got a lot of play on the internet this week, and a lot of the actors who played Ninja Turtles, both in the movies and in the cartoon, came out and said yeah. that it was silly.
3: And- it was interesting, like, that you had Michelangelo, the guy who played Michelangelo came out against it, but the guy who played Leonardo specifically came out in support of Michael Bay.
0: Well, so Leonardo, actually, you know he's very disciplined. He's uh, he's trying to hold everyone together, right? Exactly.
3: Even among the the people who have a professional relationship with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, there's disagreement as to whether Michael Bay has the right. To to change it like this.
0: I think if anyone else came out and said, We're doing a Ninja Turtles reboot and the Ninja Turtles are gonna be aliens, people would be upset. But it's specifically the Michael Bay part of the equation that's really driving people nuts on this one. I think if it was oh, yeah. anyone else, it wouldn't be quite as much but Michael Bay, like you were saying, is somewhat synonymous already with ruining beloved childhood things.
3: Yeah, you have Transformers. You have all the the battleship movie coming out. I mean, that's is that it's Michael Bay? Much, um, I know it's yeah. from the I know it's from the company that
0: brought me Transformers.
3: Oh, is it? Is it not? Um, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Then. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's just what the trailer says. Bay. I'm not sure, but it certainly looks like a Michael Bay movie. All Michael Bay movies kind of look the same. That's true.
0: I mean, and that's kind of to his credit though that he's. I mean, all those movies I mean, he's, look he's an like auteur. Michael Bay. Yeah, he's, if, he's absolutely an tour. The thing about Ninja Turtles is that uh, the 80s cartoon, which I think is really what most people are talking about when they talk about Ninja Turtles, the original cartoon, itself took a lot of liberties from the original Ninja Turtles comic book that it's based on. Yeah. Uh, and I think some people would say maybe that cartoon, which we all know and love, is the thing that actually ruined Ninja Turtles.
3: That cartoon wasn't very good, was it? Well, it was very successful. It's definitely not. It certainly, it best, certainly. That's what I think it. of when I think of Ninja Turtles. Is that cartoon? Yeah, but I don't think. It, I don't think it holds up well at all. No, honestly, it do it does
0: it. not. It does not.
3: So fuck that too, right? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a big thing you're talking about on the internet now. Is that fans feel some ownership of a franchise, and you're sort of feeling that with the, all the Mass Effect three ending stuff that's going on right now, and everything else. Is that when a creator, or in this case, Michael Bay, uh, takes a weird turn with a, a franchise that a lot of people love. They feel like personally betrayed. like they feel like their, their childhood is retroactively lessened by this creative decision. And I just I, I understand why they might feel like that, but I guess I myself, I don't understand why you can't just say, "Oh, yeah, Michael Bay's doing." Whatever he wants.
0: I never even saw. There was already a Ninja Turtles movie that I didn't see. I can keep not seeing Ninja Turtles movies. Which one didn't you see? The CG one from like 2007 or so? Oh, TMNT, the one that was just the acronym. Was that good? Yeah, I, d- I didn't
3: see it either, actually. I, I, don't I thought think about it. Many people did.
0: And you know what? That was fine. We still remember the 80s cartoon and we still have fond memories of it. And from what I remember, like that,
3: TMNT, that movie took some liberties. Like there were. There were robots in it. There, were, there was like an ancient prophecy or something. It wasn't just the, the turtles fighting Shredder or whatever. And I mean, you also have that, that, they had that Ninja Turtles, "The Next Mutation TV series with uh, the fifth the female Ninja Turtle, Venus de Milo.
0: Which, yeah. I mean, recently someone pointed out on the internet that she she's a lady turtle, her name's Venus, and yep. she has somewhat of a feminine body, she kind of has <laughs> boobs, even though turtles aren't mammals. <laughs> <laughs> this is the ultimate thing to be reading on the internet. I love, that. that's probably one of the top ten things I read on the internet last year, I'd say.
3: Yeah, it was, it was kind of a weird thing, and, and that was universally hated. I mean, I think the creators even now say, like, okay, that... Didn't happen. Let's all just pretend like the TV series was never a thing.
0: There was a cartoon uh, around 2004 or five that was pretty good. A reboot of it that I, I did watch a lot of and I did enjoy.
3: Yeah, it's strange. Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles exists in reboots exclusively. All the the only time you ever hear about it is once every four or five years when like a new rebooted TV series or a new um, film project comes out, and it's it's just kind of a different thing.
0: I am so glad that this came up because it finally gives me a chance to talk on the record about Turtles Forever, which I watched. Uh, Turtles Forever, did you see this? You certainly heard me yelling about it one day. I heard heard you just yelling about it in the office. On a street corner. Yeah. So Turtles Forever is really interesting and really is worth talking about. Uh, It's this animated movie that was made uh, about two or three years ago. It was to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Ninja Turtles. And in this cartoon, uh, it starts in the world of the 2000s-era uh, Ninja Turtles cartoon, uh, mm-hmm. which is a little bit grittier. It starts there, and something happens, time, wormhole, I don't remember. And they cross over into the world of the 80s Ninja Turtles cartoon. Mm-hmm. So it's the present Ninja Turtles mixing it up with uh, the other ones. and They the, also get like the comic book ones in there too, right? Well, hold on, we're getting there. <laughs> so the, the more recent reboot was a lot grittier, and mm-hmm. there's all these jokes at the 80s Ninja Turtles' uh, expense. Whoever wrote this thing obviously hated the 80s Ninja Turtles because they're <laughs> in this cartoon, they're complete goofballs. Basically from the point of view of the 2000s reboot Ninja Turtles, All the 80s Ninja Turtles, they're all Michelangelo. They're all... That's hell. They're really goofy. They keep, like, messing things up. And they're even worse to uh, the 80s Shredder and the 80s Krang. Like mm-hmm. the present day 2000s or whatever Shredder shows up. Am I making any fucking sense? No, no, I... I you're I with me. You're like, yeah. So the present day... They were in the technodrome, naturally. Right. So the 2000s reboot Shredder shows up, who's kind of a badass, and completely demolishes the 80s Shredder and Krang, who was a creation of the 80s cartoon. They have huh. absolutely no respect for them. They're completely <laughs> incompetent and completely with unable to stand up to... Uh, the this newer shredder who's actually, like, a real badass in the world of this cartoon. And then here's where it gets really crazy. God, if anyone's still listening. <laughs> uh, they, they uh, It ends with shredder recognizing that there is some sort of turtles multiverse and he's in this room and there's videos of all these turtle reboots you see the live action movies the cartoon the video games and he's like the turtles exist in all these different dimensions and they're showing all these different tur- like there's like a turtles anime then
3: you have shredder speaking to the architect who tells you know that he's the he's the 14th shredder in a line of
0: shredders that all <laughs> end in the same way well shredder says he i have to destroy the world that created these turtles i have to go to- <laughs> the original world and i was watching this and i was like i think shredder just threatened me he's, i don't think i've re- ever watched anything else where the villain was threatening to destroy you the viewers universe so no, he's pointing out of the tv saying he wants your blood it was some very layered like <laughs> layers of reality thing and then in the end they do cross over with the comic book version and it's mm-hmm. really cool because it's black and white and they were even grittier than the 2000s version uh this is before the franchise was really for kids, and there's like a voiceover kind of to signify the way the comic books, you know, have like an inner dialogue going. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all have the same color headband, and then all 12 turtles have to team up to take on Shredder, and it's great. It's actually kind of cool, but it's only the last 15 minutes. Why, do we, wow. why are we talking about this? It sounds, well, it sounds fun. Sounds exciting. I guess the thing about it is that in the history of all these different versions of Turtles, the comic book, the cartoon, uh, the movies, the 80s one, which is really the thing we all know and love, it's really not that precious, and it's even that isn't that great, so maybe people should relax about this.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, telling the internet to relax about anything is sort of a fool's errand, but I think Michael Bay knows exactly what he's doing. I mean, maybe not in a creative sense, but in a... No, you're right, let, though. In a in a let's-get-everyone-on-the-internet-talking-about-my-new-Ninja-Turtles movie sense.
0: I'll probably see it because I'm an idiot, but I don't know. Maybe it'll be good. You know, uh, people complain that there aren't enough new ideas. Maybe there'll be something interesting about this, maybe.
3: That's true. I mean, everyone complains about there not being any originality in movies, and that even, like, the sh- this, the, the smallest shred of originality in this very, very retread franchise is enough to get everyone super angry about it.
0: And with that we arrive at The Hunger Games, which with all due respect to John Carter is probably the year's first blockbuster. We are going to get a little bit spoilery about the first book and the first movie of The Hunger Games because I mean come on, everyone cool has read it at this point, right?
4: What did you think about the first movie? College Humor Writer, Pat Castles. Um I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. I thought it was I thought it was had a really really cool style. Uh, a really cool kind of tone in the first half. Um, I was, you were very excited about it when we did our 2012 movie preview episode with Ben and we yeah. talked about The
0: Hunger Games. You were very excited about this film. You sound a little disappointed.
4: I guess I, I am a little disappointed. Um, I think just in these, once she actually gets to The Hunger Games, it becomes a somewhat more traditional action movie. I just feel like it didn't totally hit the themes of the book that i were, that i was really moved by in term, like the the sort of dystopian future like i never really got a a very good feeling for it which is kind of you know it wasn't like i don't know i mean i i the one review i did read compared it to robocop a little bit and like oh yeah that makes I sense i wanted more of that i wanted more, a a better look at this sort of
0: that was the world. av club review right yes. which i also read which is a great comparison cuz both robocop and starship troopers uh paul verhoeven movies have a thing about using the news to like comment and kind of get you through the movie and the news is used very satirically in both them and uh in this movie
4: definitely um and i thought i mean i did think i i do want to there's a lot in the movie to be impressed by i think like the the world of district 12 was really a cool i've never really seen that world on on camera the world of the Capitol. i kind of wanted more of that you know like I mean, I think, I think it will definitely – that's like a weird thing to predict or whatever. But, you know, it's got like – it will probably get like an Oscar nomination for like best costumes for all those capital – that whole look of the capital is very cool. I like the movie too,
0: and I'm a little reserved about it also. But the problems that you had with it weren't necessarily problems that I had. Like uh, I thought you got a pretty good sense of District 12 – and that scene where they showed the propaganda movie and just the reaping in general. Like, I thought that scene was uh, very economic about, even though there wasn't a lot in it, you got a sense of, like, that there, this, how the people felt about the Hunger Games and, yeah. you know, and that they were being held down. I thought that was in there. And the movie overall, because the book is told so squarely from Katniss's perspective, I thought the movie actually had a little bit more of seeing what was going on in the world and seeing the news and all the, you know, yeah the pieces that weren't. You
4: get to see what Gale is doing during the games very briefly yeah yeah that's true i I thought the gale stuff that the gale Peter, katniss love triangle i guess in the second and third movies and books of course you'll see that kind of develop a little bit more that much gale's just not in the first uh book that much as Mm -hmm. i guess um because he's not in the hunger games i mean people are definitely you and i started the same screening and i think most people in the audience seem to have read the books definitely so when they showed gale they kind of. Brief cut to Gale when Katniss and Pito uh, were sort of kissing in the cave or whatever, being intimate, Um, and everyone kind of laughed and was very, they got a big reaction out of that. And I feel like that was not a reaction you would have if you didn't read the books or didn't know that. I think people just, even if you didn't, you just instinctively knew that this had like a Twilight like love triangle that you had that you were supposed to be on board for. Yeah, I think the movie used the book to take shortcuts a lot like Mm -hmm. that. Like uh,
0: Rue. Uh, when Rue showed up in the movie and the first time they were like, oh, this is this is Rue and she's introduced, there was a collective awe in the yeah. movie theater because they found this adorable little girl to play her and everyone who's read the book, which is most of the theater, uh, you know, we'd seen it, we saw an early screening of it, so everyone was very excited about it and everyone had read the books. And uh, she. so there's this awe and that's because everyone kind of knows what's coming. And I talked to someone, our friend Vinny, who uh, didn't read the books and he was saying that like, that Katniss, Rue stuff, uh, you know, she kind of takes on a mothership role and it's kind of glazed over. He's like, that, that happened kind of quickly and I didn't follow it. And that didn't even occur to me yeah. because I had read the book. Like, that story isn't that well developed in the movie. But if you've read the book, like, it's, you can fill in the pieces that aren't there. You can fill in a little bit of what Katniss is feeling mm-hmm. and how she's missing her sister. And I think that was just a, my problem with the movie, which is a very, very good movie. It's probably the best Hunger Games movie anyone could have ever made.
4: I, yeah, I mean, yeah, go on. And uh, but it's I, I could have made a better one. I'm just kidding.
0: We must have talked about. We did a whole episode about translating books to movies uh, with DC Pearson. Sure. And I, I feel like this must have been covered somewhere in there. But I, I'm never that excited when the movie adaptation is a completely straight retelling to the detail of what's in the book, like the Harry Potter movies are this too. Obviously the Harry Potter movies are all really good. Again, probably the best Harry Potter movies you can make. But after reading the book, just seeing the story I know played out on screen, just visualized, just getting those greatest hits of it, never really excites me that much. It's just hard to get excited about that uh, as its own thing. And I felt that way watching The Hunger Games. I was like, yep, this is the book I read, but I didn't get that excited about it as a movie.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think I liked it. There's things about it I liked more than the Harry Potter movies. I mean, I like how it's sort of Harry Potter. You know, he it has this whole tone of he is he is an outsider coming to this world. So that's how they that's how the books and the movie get around explaining all these magical things. Where it's like, well, wh- what's this? And like, well, Harry, this is a yeah, yeah, yeah. jumping bird or something. Uh, clearly, I haven't read the books, but um, whereas this, you're just kind of thrown into the world and you have to sort of like learn as it happened so i thought that aspect was very cool which is but I thought uh, that scene i mean you pointed out the scene with the um with the with the reaping i thought that was possibly the best scene in the movie yeah maybe. um because it was sort of done in a very there were some real choices there was no music in it It was very creepy very like you know i mm-hmm. wanted more of that kind of tone happening in the movie i think all my favorite scenes in the movie the stuff
0: i really liked is the stuff that they expand on which is not that much uh, they didn't add that much, but the things they did add, I really liked. Like I like seeing Seneca, who's the games master, yeah. talking to uh, the president. Uh, I liked, and I don't remember if this is in the book because I read him a few months ago now. But Hamish uh, talks to Seneca, and he's like, "You it, you have to give people something to root for, and that's why they make the very sudden rule change uh, that there can now be two winners of the Hunger Games, which is this important moment." And uh, I think in the book, as I recall, that's like a little more sudden and a little more unplanned, whereas here you get to see exactly how that came to be. And uh-huh. I think maybe you get it a little later in the book. I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah, I think, sure. I
4: think Kat, you know, it's all from Katniss's...
0: So I, I liked all those scenes her, yeah. a lot. And one more, real yeah, quick. No, um, really, at the end of the movie, uh, the scene with Seneca and the nightlock. I think, again, is something that is maybe described in the book, but it's actually seeing it as a scene as, at the end of the movie, I thought really worked yeah, really out So all these p- parts that weren't in the book, I thought were really cool. And the book's so popular that you ha- like you can't make too many of those. Like they're they, they were obviously very mm-hmm. obligated. And I don't begrudge them for sticking so closely to the book. It's just kind of boring.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I think I agree with you that the stuff uh, in District Twelve and the Capitol was the, my favorite stuff in the books. I, I love dystopian futures, and we've mentioned RoboCop, and you know, ninety percent of Paul Verhoeven's work is set in like in a kind of John Carpenter. John Carpenter as well, yeah. I think I thought it had elements of that, and there was a really cool choice of director. It was Gary Ross who made Pleasantville, which is another kind of movie that is like surprisingly subversive and dark, especially in its second half. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. You know, it gets it gets uh, it's the, if you watch the trailer, it's marketed completely as this like goofy like we're trapped in the TV world movie, and then yeah. the second half it becomes like they're burning books and there's like Nazi or fascist undertones to the whole thing. I yeah. thought it was very cool. So. In that and and so in in he's a sort of and you know it has a the colors I don't know color scheme or whatever there's a sort of tonal similarity to the two movies I feel like so I thought I mean I thought that was great I just thought you know the, the the look of it was very cool I don't know I, it's weird to praise the look of a movie as opposed to but you know the, the look is very connected I think to, in this case to like well the, the story and stuff.
0: is already laid out by the book so the look is what the movie has mm-hmm. added and I thought they did a great job we're being a little down and I think we both
4: enjoyed the movie I think it's a good movie. I'm like, I'm still process. I told you before, like I haven't read any. Rev- I like to read, read a lot of reviews after I see a movie, just trying to like not that not that I need not that I need to be told to think, but I always find it helps you just kind of like think clarify your own thoughts on the movie. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I haven't done it yet, uh, so this is. I think you're getting kind of a raw unprocessed. And we saw the opinion. movie this is we saw the movie 2 days ago now. I know, I know. So this is we didn't just walk away from it. No, no, I I don't really have an excuse to not have. I mean, you can opinions. you can
0: think about it for a few days before you declare your feelings on the movie forever. I think I, what did I, you like
4: about the movie? What
0: did you like about it?
4: Um, oh, I thought um I thought um uh Jennifer Lawrence yeah. was a great cast and it's kind of um uh, it's amazing that it's such uh like a movie movie serendipity that Winter's Bone happened a year ago because, like, who else would you have gotten if she didn't come into existence? I mean, she, she basically broke out with that movie, Winter's mm-hmm. Bone, lat, a year and a half ago, a year ago. And it's the... It, that is Katniss. She was essentially playing Katniss in that movie, like, a, a darker version a realer version, but she was a, a girl who's taking care of her sister who lived in the woods, who, like, hunted food, who was a tough badass, you know, like, and it was just so perfect. Self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. Um, a great... Winter's Bone is an awesome movie. You should see... I think if you like The Hunger Games, you'd probably really like Winter's Bone. I still haven't seen Winter's Bone. I, it's, it's been on my list for a while. I gotta check it out. John Hawks. I know you're a John Hawks fan. Yeah. You like I, me some John Hawks. I do. I like pretty
0: much anyone from Deadwood in anything. And uh, there was someone from Deadwood in this. Paula Malcolmson showed up for a second. Who's she? She is oh, um, Trixie from Deadwood, and she was Katniss's mom in this.
4: Oh, that's right. She did look familiar.
0: Wow. There were a lot of wow. adult... Like, this This is the kind of movie where the, the budget was so large that like pretty much any speaking part was filled out by an overqualified actor. Like, Paula Malcolmson's amazing, and she's like I, she's like a ringer. She just has, like, three lines in this movie, but they got the best... You know, they, they, got, they hired someone completely overqualified for it. Stanley Tucci's another one. Yeah. Um, Woody, Woody Harrelson, Elizabeth Banks, and they're all great in the movie, and it's, it's just, like, it's fun. All the adults are great in the movie. is what I'm saying, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of fun little adult parts.
4: Yeah, Stanley Tucci, probably. He's, Donald Sutherland. Yeah. You, you, could, you could make the argument that Stanley... T- you could make the argument that Tucci kind of stole the show, um, or he, he was certainly, like, I mean, he had that, like, Paul verhoeven tone. The, he was the biggest yeah. representation of that. But um, he's, like,
0: a, in the movie, he's, like, a show, you know, mm-hmm. that's his character.
4: Uh, I thought Elizabeth Banks also was actually very good. Yeah, she got uh, a lot of laughs. Yeah, she got a lot of laughs. That's a, kind of a character I
0: didn't totally know how to imagine from reading the books, either. Like, I didn't totally under, I didn't have a,
4: that's not how I imagined Effie. Like
0: it was a little more ridiculous than I think I imagined when I was reading the book.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I do. Th- I'm I'm kind of excited for the second movie because I would love to see. I feel like maybe in the second movie they'll be able to explore some of the themes that I. I feel like such a. I feel like such well, a, I think what you like, but what book. you like
0: is like the larger sci-fi world, and they do get more into that in the second and third books. Yeah, uh, and
4: I, I, they they hinted it a little bit in this one. I find Effie to be a very complex character because she is sort of she's she's raising the capital. She's sort of the representation of like everything that's kind of. Ugly and bad about this world, but then she's at the same time, you know, she has like a good heart. So yeah, she's that's, like, that's fun to see play out.
0: Yeah, they didn't. You know what they didn't have? They mentioned cutting out the tongues, but they didn't have the.
4: Oh yeah, uh, what is it? The uh, I don't affix or something. I I think you see, I remember seeing one silent. <laughs> was it? I did I did see a servant once, and I was like, yeah, they did cut that out. They they did actually. death do downplay some. Clearly, the violence uh, was not incredibly graphic, but. Nor was it too graphic in the in the books, um, but also like Hamish's alcoholism, I thought was underplayed. Um, yeah. In the in the book, I think there might be a scene where like they drag he's vomiting or they're dragging him to bed. It's just a much more repulsive alcoholism, or much more. I mean, not that he is for a scene or two, but then he but... he cleans himself up. Right. He was just, yeah. He was a little. His character was a little darker, I thought. You know, um, but I know you know he he, he he sort of was a comic relief in this. But very... I think you know the the. I think they did a good job choosing what was important, and the, the major themes are all there, and it's still a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I guess yeah. I maybe mean, maybe I've convinced myself that I like it more than I thought in this conversation.
0: Okay, good. That's what we're here for. <laughs> That's what
4: we're here to do. I think I, I, I think I would rewatch it. I, I think I was just very excited. I, I guess I was really. I had I had very high expectations. Um, you know, um, I was hope I was. I just, I thought it was going to be like, just emotionally swept or something. But those movies tend to sneak up on you, maybe. Like that's the problem with hype. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Is it was, it was just safe. It was like exactly what was in the book, and it was, uh, I was, I don't begrudge them for making that decision. I understand why they did it, but it was just. Uh, you brought up John safe. Carter before. Yeah. What did you think? So, I went back to the episode we recorded with Ben. Uh, where we were looking forward to all the m- films of the year, and I actually listened to the brief set when we talked yeah. about The Hunger Games to see if there was like, something we said that was maybe very true or very untrue. Obviously, we, I chose not to include anything from it. We're already here. But it, that episode's really embarrassing because two of the movies I'm really excited about, and this is just two or three months ago, uh, was Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, which I saw and was atrocious. I saw with you, yeah. Uh, that was really bad, and... Uh, and, John and Jen Carter which I was also not, 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 not a good. huge fan of. Yeah. So I was just, I was not doing too good with movies. But I actually saw this and I, I did like this overall. Uh, you know, it's enjoyable and 21 Jump Street I saw this week too which was excellent. Really really funny. Uh, well you know you talk about a pleasant talk about like being surprised by a movie that—that's something certainly was not on my radar at the beginning of the year. Like, when is that Twenty One Jump Street movie coming out? And it's really, really
4: good. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard it's good. I've heard it's like a good high school movie too. Like,
0: how it sort of gets to some. Yeah, it has like a good take on Twenty One Jump Street. Like, you know the basic premise. It yeah. has like a pretty good take on that, and like it has it has a few clever ideas and things to say. And it's a uh, it's the kind of thing that's not as good for this podcast because it's just like a little. There's no space monsters or sci-fi oh, totally, references, yeah. but uh, it, it it's really worth seeing. Cool. Uh, I don't know. How do we take this out? I feel like we came to this like really lukewarm place. Where we're like, yeah, some things are okay and some things are bad. This, <laughs> oh, this, with the movie? This, this, yeah, yeah. We got this is the end of the episode. We've had so many people, so many friends
4: talked about so much. We gotta, we gotta really bring this home here. Do I go back to the Hunger Games or what are you looking for? What, what other movies are you looking forward to this year? You, you're two for two right now. You I gotta you, what, what, put your put your. Well, Avengers
0: is, seems like a safe bet. Avengers oh, sure. is probably the next thing I'm really excited about. You know what else looks good is the. Um, What's that movie? I can't remember the oh, name t- of it. Where the it's like an action movie and
4: it's Japanese or oh, like the it has a weird name. It's like the right colon, like re- the, retribution or something. Where they're taking down the this is bad
0: too. I can't even remember the name of the movie. I want to see.
4: I will tell. I I did recently see the uh, the Dark Knight the Dark Knight Rises trailer the new yeah. one. And I, I thought it was amazing. Like I thought it was, I I think Avengers and Dark Knight are probably. It's hard to imagine they're not both going to be really good in different ways. But uh, and I had some nitpicky things with the I, I just I, I don't even just, you know I mean, me and superhero movies I'm, I'm not a hundred percent on board for, yeah. for superhero movies as like I think the Hunger Games is more my wheelhouse because it's a little more believable for lack of a better word or it's mm-hmm. more I don't know it's just it's not a superhero a movie yeah uh, it's sci-fi but he there's so much el- there's so much else to like in the in the Batman in the Christopher Nolan's Batman movies like I mean just that that shot of the football stadium it was incredible like he just yeah. dream- just he to think of that it's just a trailer and i'm already excited for it yeah yeah it's gonna be really fun he just makes he just knows how to spend money and make epic movies that are also really smart i remember and that's rare yeah i I
0: gotta say though i think i may be i know you're not gonna like this i think
4: i may be more excited about the avengers than i am the dark knight really
0: I i don't know why i think it's just like well joss
4: whedon's a cool choice yeah
0: i love joss whedon i mean i'm really it's it's hard to choose between the two of them but I gotta admit, in my heart of hearts, I think I may be more excited about the Avengers. I don't know why. I don't. I, I feel. Yeah. I feel guilty
4: about it. It's. I just. I, I. think maybe as a film, The Dark Knight might be better. But as a sort of
0: that new Avengers trailer looks so fun. Like, I haven't the, seen it. I gotta. Oh, watch the it. most
4: recent one. No,
0: maybe probably not. It's really good. It's like a little mini movie in and of itself.
4: That's true. You know the. Pro, I mean, he he like. The Dark Knight will probably be, like, it won't be, it's not going to be fun, you know? Yeah, I'm, the like Avengers,
0: nervous about seeing the Dark Knight. I'm, like, what will I, what will I feel like after I
4: see it? Like, the yeah. Avengers is going
0: to be, I imagine, two hours of just really condensed fun. I think that's maybe why I feel guilty about looking more forward to it.
4: No, that's fine. I mean, like, that's, why, that's Josh Whedon's, and that's how, I mean, <laughs> movies about people who dress up and fight bad guys probably <laughs> should be more fun than, like, emotionally moving yeah. uh, I'm coming at it from weird I, just, I, just, I think maybe I'm just excited for another Christopher Nolan movie yeah that's I'm, I'm, I can't say this enough I'm very excited about both yeah totally. no, I don't think you're not coming off as like anti Chris Nolan at all but I do think there's probably I bet if you that's going to be a big thing on the internet this summer is com- com- the two movies pitted against each other we should talk we should come back and talk about it we are, to gonna have, <laughs> we are definitely going to have
0: we are definitely going to be talking about the Avengers and the Dark Knight uh, and more movies all through the summer
4: thanks for coming back to the show Pat and thank you for having me
0: Thank you once again To all of my guests uh, Owen and Pat From College Humor John Gabus From The Substitute Scott from Scott's Pizza Tours It is now time For some light Jeff Rubin Jeff Rubin Fact check Fact check First of all Pizza Expo is, at least according to their website, the world's largest pizza convention. I almost don't believe it until I hear it out of Scott's mouth, but that is what it says on their website. The episode of Lost that I described with Locke's father did air in March 2007, so I think it really is the one we watched. Angry Birds came out at the end of 2009, but didn't really hit until 2010. They are making a Game of Thrones MMORPG, and uh, I guess if you know what MMORPG is, you probably already knew that without me fact-checking it for you. Michael Bay was not involved in Battleship, though Owen is correct that he might as well have been. The movie that I want to see that I couldn't remember the name of is The Raid, and it is an Indonesian movie, and it looks fucking awesome. Check out that trailer. And while you're on the internet looking at videos, head over to Kyle Schumer, because I have a new nerd alert out this week. And it is a doozy. We shot it over three weekends. I think you're really going to like it. Another thing I reference this episode is that people keep asking me, uh, when's Gabe's coming back? Uh, who did the theme song? Are you doing another Breaking Bad episode? I didn't ask Pat that when he was there, but that is something we get a lot of. If you want to ask me questions, uh, you don't have to wait until I answer them here. You can hit me up on Twitter, at JeffRubinShow, uh, on my Facebook fan page, at Tumblr, at JeffRubinJeffRubin.com, and youtube.com slash jeffrey and and hey i wouldn't hate it if you left it an itunes review i'm not gonna beg i'm not gonna beg i've got too much pride for that but if you did it yeah you know what i'd appreciate it but even if you don't we can still be friends i'll see you again on tuesday Bye.